Hey, good morning, everyone. So I, uh, I've been thinking about this. I made, I made this stupid little thing called a death counter that just goes through a project and counts the instance of a regex, uh, how many files contain this regex. Basically to say, uh, we're switching, we're upgrading one component to a different component and we're gonna go through each page and uh, switch over to the new component. And we wanna burn down of like how many are left. Stupid little thing, little node script. Um, and what I wanted to do with this exercise was do like full on like TDD and really think hard about um, separation of concerns, modularity, making sure that each thing only does one thing, keeping functions small, modules small, and testing everything as I go uh, with test first, uh, you know, red, red, green refactor sort of thing. Um, and so I, 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 I keep coming to these points where I'm not sure what to do. And I think there's a decision point in here that's interesting. So you, I, I, I can write a failing test. Um, I can write a bunch of code that kind of makes that test pass. And then I get to refactor and I start pulling things out and thinking about, um, oh, this part only does one thing. I'm going to pull it into a module. I'm going to push the accidental complexity to the edges. So I actually pulled out the, all of the file access into its own module and then tested that separately. So that's interesting. But you get to this point where I come back to the main function, I'm starting to look at what I'm doing and it's calling a bunch of modules that I've created. And it's, it's, it's very opaque. It's like, what in order to wrap my head around everything that the system is doing, I now have to go to five different files and different modules. Whereas this is a small, stupid thing I could write all in one file and I could digest it in a minute. So the question here is like, so there's a trade-off, right? I'm trading off, I'm trading off the, the modularity and the code design for the ability, for the upfront cost of trying to sift through and bounce between files and understand the entire program. So that's, that's like, maybe there's a balance in there, but like, what, how do you decide when is a good idea to stop pulling things out and like detangling the ball of mud? And right. when do you just leave stuff all together? So, uh, great. So, uh, okay. So one, I'm going to make the claim that having this like single responsibility, like, you know, very, very small functions and lots of files spread across your application is completely orthogonal to functional programming. Like this is not like something like, like if you're doing functional programming, you will not naturally get to that spot, right? Like that's something else, like that's a separate principle. Like, oh, I'm, I'm really trying to like be as modular as possible. Like you can do it with functional programming, but that's not that's not like completely coupled. Like you, you will, like there's two different things. So um, uh, the way the way that, the way that I've seen, like in my experience, here's my, like my, uh, my, my interpretation of this. So one, whenever you have languages like JavaScript that has no like type safety, you get to this point where you're like, like, oh, I need to have the files as small as possible, like separated as far as, like, you know, like do a simple thing, like the single responsibility is like so important there because I can't understand when things go wrong unless I can like isolate things into small places and have a lot of tests for these things and like all that stuff, right? When you have a type system that you can rely on, no longer is it I have to worry about having small files that do small things. All I have to do is make sure that the types makes sense right so like it's as long as the inputs and outputs of all the things are good then i can have a thousand line function and it's totally fine there's nothing wrong with that actually like people encourage that in the functional like set of the type functional world 
like there, I remember talks. There was a conference in uh, in Vienna, and somebody was like making this like claim, like what's wrong with having a thousand line function? Like nothing. The thing is, like sometimes you need some functions that are a thousand lines. I'm not saying you should strive for this, but you shouldn't strive for hey, my my function's a thousand lines, and I and I that that's a bad thing, right? No, like sometimes you want to wrap as much stuff into an interface as possible and, hi and hide the, in the implementation behind it, right? Like we talked about a long time ago, maybe in, th in this podcast, about the idea of um, classitis, I think was a term. Another, like, I'm not sure what the, uh, what, what, what the related thing was, but one thing was like, hey, the ratio between the, inter the public interface and the implementation should be as small like low as possible like the smallest number as possible right you want the smallest public interface and the deepest implementation for that public interface so that people don't have to care about all these different files and stuff until they need to know about the details if you have several small files with small interfaces now the public interface overall is much much bigger and now people have to be aware of all these things right so once you have types that allow you to say like, okay, I don't have to care about the implementation details because the types do this for me. You're free to have large, larger files. And then if something goes wrong, well, the type system will catch these things for you, right? Business logic is a separate thing. Like you have to have your own test for that. But as far as like, hey, I need to separate all these things into small files because That's I can't understand the system. Well, I mean, I think the... Properly, I think. Hmm. The, the thing with having, oh, okay, let me, let me think of what you're saying for a minute. I mean, like, just because a class is public or publicly accessible doesn't necessarily mean that it's a public interface. So I, I, I agree with that, right? So point being, the implementation could be separating things into different um, classes, but you don't necessarily have to test the class, right? if that is part of a private implementation detail and you get the right coverage or you get the right whatever. Um, so I think that's one thing that can get confusing pretty quickly. Yes, this thing says public, but like think of it as private basically, right? So when we're talking about unit testing, it does it's not necessarily that everything that has the word public assigned to it needs to be fully tested. It's the things that we expose to the outside world, right? Uh, that's That's, that's the thing that we want to make sure is, is, is working, right? And so like you can get to 100% test coverage, not on a class by class basis in a unit testing environment, but by, you know, basically testing the inputs and outputs that you care about through the, at a system perspective, right? Yeah, and so, right, and so, like, right, exactly, the right? API, like the, the, the APIs that will implement, like unit testing in API, right? Uh, implies that you're thinking about things as public exportable interfaces, exportable, right? As opposed to just public. And I think that can, that can reduce the whatever. But, but when you have a giant thousand line function, yes, you can test the inputs and outputs of it, but you lose the ability to have high fidelity tests of what's going yeah. on inside. So if something breaks, where did it break? What broke? You have to like debug into that thing. Like, isn't it better to to split things out where that where it makes sense to split things out? Like keep things single purpose and, and that that was that was one of the points that they made in a video that you shared. Uh, which which one was that, Dan? It was the um, 
it was one about OOP looks like functional programming when done right, right? And so like one of the things I said is like the, the trade-off is you have all these different classes, you have to figure out which classes you care about. So that's bad. But on the good side, if you want to make a change, you just, <clears throat> once you find that class, it's going to be relatively easy to change that thing, right? So th that's the good side. And it's the inverse is true, I think, in that like if you have that thousand line function, you can understand what's going on, but changing anything <laughs> about what's happening in there is potentially dangerous, right? I'm sure there's examples of this. I just don't I, I haven't had them, right? Like in in in, in uh when you have like and it, and okay, I think one important thing here is like what I'm talking about is like not like a like a Java type system, but like a ML type system, right? And when you have this, your your type system does a lot more for you, right? You can actually model your domain with algebraic data types, and having having that tool for you makes like forces things to be simple. Like you, you don't actually, it's it's way it's it's you're naturally going to be finding a simple solution for like it's the type system forces you to do it because you cannot do like crazy things like my array cannot have like ints and like and and strings, <laughs> no like. You, you can create your own custom type, but you're like, it's like, why, like, you're not, like, it's not, you're, you're going to find yourself finding simple, simpler solutions that are just straightforward, right? And if you have a function that's a thousand lines, and you're like, hey, something went wrong, like, what went wrong? Well, then it's business logic, okay? And then, like, okay, your business logic needs to be fixed in that place. Like, is it, is it a thousand lines? Fine. Like, what's the difference? Like, if you, if you have some problem with your business logic, it's going to be there. Right? You're saying it's one you, place you know that, that will that modify the thing, and so you know that you can, you know that the problem is within the thousand lines and not in a different thousand line. No, even in that thousand lines, you, you, you. Let's say you're not even doing any side effects, right? Like, but like you just got some error, like oh, I'm adding one to something I shouldn't add one to, right? Or like you know, you, you, you test, you have your tests for inputs and outputs of that function, and you still get, uh, like if it's. If the um, like you should still be able to get 100% code coverage in that test if like in that if you want to test that function if you want to if it's business logic, right? Like oh, you have all these different branches. That means like all these like maybe I have like a, a variant where I'll have like you know six different members of this variant. Okay, so I pass in like all these different things and like I get maybe each like variant has like you know 120 130 lines of code in it and then you have you test for each one, you know, like that, that seems totally fine. If you look at, for example, like the rescript compiler, right? Like the, 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 the part that manages the syntax, it's just one file. <laughs> like they don't have this like yeah. thing set up in, in a way that's like, oh yeah, here's like 35 files. No. And, and it's because it's a large like switch statement basically. So that sounds like maybe right. that is good separation of concerns. It's just that one concern, one <laughs> one responsibility it happens to be very big but yeah. let's take my silly example maybe we can maybe we can talk about how you might split it up so in my example i'm getting a list of files uh recursively through the project and then i'm doing file reads read you know looking through the text of those files uh for regex and then i'm uh taking that count and i'm outputting it to a to a just a local json file just to save it off um, and then I'm logging that number as a chart using a charting library to a screen. So, like, w would you would you just cram all that logic into uh, what what is the function? How do how does like functional data types help me there? 
and how do I split up functions? And because in, in the in the classic way I'm thinking about this, you push accidental complexity to the edges. So you want to pull out any interactions with the outside world so that your your um, internals of your program can be as pure and yeah. you know uh, predictable as possible. But yeah, I, I'm curious how how would you split that up? Okay, so let's go very slowly. What's the first thing you did? You're doing? So first, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, I get input from the user of a directory and a regex. And I go through that directory recursively to get all of the files. So that's IO, right? So you're, you're accepting input from, like, is it like you're reading from the command line? Yeah. Or is it like, okay. So I would have a function that does this, like, reading of the command line set effect, right? And then from that data, like, gets all the directory information as well. And that's it, <laughs> right? Like you wouldn't be doing anything with that information. You would just like put that information into your data model. Mm -hmm. Once you're once you have that in your data model, okay. Some other functions. What's next? What's the next step? So then uh, we re recursively go through that directory structure to get all the list of files. Or did yep. we do that that's already? That's still going to be in the in the I/O function. Okay. So yeah. then we go through each of those files and search for the regex in the contents of those files. So in your data model you're going to have a list of strings basically that represent file, like the yep. contents of a file. Do you need any metadata from these files? Like the no. name of the file? Oh yeah. Uh, no, actually we're just getting counts. So no. Okay. So now you're, now you have a separate function that's going to process this list, maybe like, you know, fold or like reduce. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and you, you, you pass in this, this list and you're going to get a number at the end of it. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what's next? So then uh, you take that number and pass it to a charting library and log that chart out to the console. So you take that number. Oh, wait, no. First, first we save it off into a JSON file. Why? Uh, because we want to chart over time. So we're saving a timestamp with the uh, count into okay. a JSON file. So. Um, oh, then... we missed a step. <laughs> At the beginning, we try to read the history from a JSON file. If okay, it's there. so... Um... Okay, so I would have separate functions for all this IO stuff. So like one function would be reading from history, right? One function would be would be um, like taking the, the user input, and I probably would also read the the directory in that same function. Like, yeah, that's probably two separate things, but argue, like whatever, you can do either one. That doesn't bother me at all. Um, like you know, one option would be user gives you the directory, and then in that same function you go recursively look at the directory and find all the files, or like option two user gives you the directory that's one like thing and then another function will like recursively do it i don't i don't see the difference of like what's what's the like one for the input and one for the like using that data and like doing some other well that's, so what's interesting is that it sounds like you're both kind of coming into a similar thing in that uh, like ref when you're saying function dan you're saying module right but otherwise it seems it seems fairly similar right well, what I did was I created a file access, yeah, file access module that does, that hides the complexity of how I'm reading and recursing through files and all that. So I can just say, give me a list of files from this directory. Boom, that's one function in the in that file access module, and then uh, write to the um, write to the JSON file that's also in the file access. So like any of that okay, file access yeah. stuff is in that one module. And to be clear, like, you know, functional languages all have modules too, which are grouping of, of functions and types. Yeah. And values. 
So um, yeah, so you can have an I/O module that will like that will do all that stuff you just said. Like all, every single function could live there, and like you know whatever. Um, then you have like your like data processing module, which will maybe just be one function that takes the list of files, like the file contents, and then gives you a number. And then your I/O module again can write to the file system, saying like, okay, here's like a JSON with the data for today. Um, so next, you said I need to take that history and make a chart. Yeah. So so um, at at the at the end, I have the current count and I have the historical count, so I can just map that on a chart using. There's a really simple like ASCII charting library that I can just give it uh, an array and it just like spits out the line graph. Okay. So like your your uh, so you have a dependency. Um, and then you're pass you're calling the dependency, um, okay, and then and then you're going to save that output to a f to disk, or are you going to like, no just spit it out to the console and then and then of course I save the history in the JSON. Okay, okay, and uh, yeah, that could be in the I/O as well, like that charting like that the the charting thing would have the like import the dependency, and then call it and then output the send it out. So how many files are we talking about here? Um, I think two files where you have um, every file is a module, right? Um, in, in, in the camel world, at least. Um, but let's say you have like another, you know, language, then you, then you have still two files, but like you, even if, let's say you did an OO, what's the difference? Actually, I don't see any difference at all. You have two classes, let's say, and one class is responsible for IO and all these fun all these methods will will be um, public, right? And I would make them static as well. Like I don't think you need to make them like you don't. What's the point of instantiating it, right? And then everything would be a static function and like a static method. And then yeah, what's what's wrong with that? Any 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 problem? <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> I, I put I put a link to the source here um, if you want to look at it what I did so far. This is actually not totally up to date, but it's close. Uh, I need to push. But so I, I ended up making four files, basically. One is just the index that just does, that just calls out to my APIs that I've created. Show me where. I'm in source. Where, where's the index? I don't see it. Index is in bin because it's a NPX okay. situation. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. And, and so if you so if you look at that index file, if there's a problem, you're like, where is it? What is going on? Now I have to go and understand all these other three things. So already is kind of annoying me. And then my, I have, so here's how I split it up. File access um, does just, is just a light wrapper over node, um, read file sync and write file sync, right? Why do make a wrapper over node? Why, why not just use the normal? Yeah, that's, that's kind of, that's kind of was one of my things. Like, should this be? pulled out um you you just it also the... parses the json and it passes the right flag well, reason... and i have a delete that was like a thing but well, yeah actually if you wanted to replace anything know that this should be a separate file thing. actual file things with some other like you say paste paste in a json blob that you could like write tests around that right that makes sense yeah exactly that was my thought is like if i'm if i'm following quote unquote perfect good you know, design, I want to pull any, this is the accidental logic thing. So I'm pulling anything, any file access stuff into the, into this one 
module and then the other modules just use that so i could swap out with other file access or use different flags or use different right, right. so here's that. here's a mental model that i use that like once i learned this it, it's kind of like like it's my framework for doing thinking about these kinds of decisions so i i learned about the differences between haskell and camel right haskell world says like no everything is pure there's no way there's no escape hatch even the type system knows everything for example if you're doing io the type reflects that you're doing IO, right? And you have to do a lot of like hoops to jump through to do what you want to do because of these restrictions, right? And though Camel World says like, hey, listen, I really love purity. I really love like avoiding side effects, but I love simplicity more. So I'm going to say like, you know what? Instead of being 100% safe, we'll be like 95% safe. Sacrifice some safety and say like, you know what? I'm going to give the escape hatches, let people, uh, trust people to like put them in the, edges of that program like to, to, to focus on simplicity rather than like how uh, dogmatic am I in terms of like what, what we're doing here. And in, in this case over here now, like your program is so small and simple that there's no need for this extra file. Now you've increased the file numbers by 50% by adding this feature of, hey, I can always, you know, replace the file system, like the, the, the way I'm using, uh, interacting with the file system like I can just change that completely and everything else doesn't have to change. Yes, that's true, but now you've increased the number of files by 50%, right? So like for me, the trade-off is simplicity. Go for the simplest thing that's easiest to change, right? If you're saying like, hey, I want to replace my file system and it's going to be really, really hard to change because if I don't, if I don't do this like pattern right now, then the, the cost of changing it later will be massive. Yeah, then do this pattern. But right in your example, that's not true. If you want to change your yeah. file system, it's one place. <laughs> There's no other places, right? So, like, why add that? No, there are two places. But what I mean is, like, it's not worth it. Because <laughs> the other modules that I split out was one for uh, dealing with the count stuff. So, like, figuring out how many files contain the thing. And then the other one is all about reading and writing the history. Sure. But those both use well, so I think. I think... <clears throat> Ref, to what you were saying, different languages, different frameworks are going to have different like feature sets. So the thing that's in my brain is knowing the context where you are, what feature set you have available, drives you to write different types of code, right? Like, and so like if you try, so one of the tricky parts is, you know, we we have a lot of like PHP and Java back and forth, right? So like PHP has a certain feature set, Java has a different feature set. So if you try to write your Java code pretending that it's PHP, you're going to have a bad time and vice versa, right? For certain, not not for everything actually, but for some things. And so um, I think it's it, it's funny to see folks where it's, you look at their code in a certain thing. Um, uh, you can look at a PR that's in a certain language and it's like, oh, have you written, you know, Python before, or have you written, you know, you, you've been using Java lately, right? Like, <laughs> you can kind of see these things like seep through. And so like, I think that's true for if you're looking at on average, how do people code? But I think what I'm trying to get at here is like, what is the foundational truth about code, code organization that transcends languages and types? Well, so let me, let me, let me chime in here. So uh, this is okay. So not only do languages like force you to do right. certain things certain ways, but yes. but some languages change the way you think about exactly like what is the truth of like what is the gold standard for what I'm trying to do, right? And after learning OCaml, I realized my problem was 
hey, I was writing code thinking like I was trying to achieve some kind of like club or like checklist of like, hey, you have you have written good code, right? Like anyone that would come look at this would be like, wow, great job over here. Like, you, 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 you really thought about everything here and you know all the principles and all the standards and congratulations. Like I was expecting like a, like a trophy like on my wall or something. And then I realized, no, it's, it's, it's all about simplicity. Like do something that is simple and easy to change, right? As long as that is true, it's good. And people probably will disagree with you. Like, no, like th there's no one gold standard that everyone has, right? But I know what my gold standard is now, right? And I, and I, and I, uh, and, and knowing this, I can always Reverend, make, I think, I can I make think these trade-offs. You're hearing an important thing there. Whatever I need. Simple and easy to change to you or to whoever is going to have to change it later. And I think that's, that's, the, that's the thing that's like difficult because like having someone from point. who hasn't had that mind shift, mind shift set, whatever, um, they're going to come at it and they're going to be confused and they're not going to think of it simple and they're going to want to rewrite it and refactor it. So, you know, <laughs> that's, yes. But is no, that true exactly. no matter what though? <laughs> isn't, isn't like, <laughs> yeah. I, I still think there's something here. So like, yes, different people have different experience and they're going to find different things more or less simple and they'll have their own, you know, groove, their own way of writing code that they think is, fine and they can like go back to code that they've written in that same pattern and they're fine and then there's a, the same for you know in aggregate the uh idiomatic way to do any certain language or uh patterns like functional and oop and there are like ways to do that i think there's something that goes above all of that <laughs> where we're talking about again like these foundation foundational things of separation of concerns modularity, encapsulation, um, keeping the things that belong together together and the things that are not are not. And those have nothing to do with language or style. They have to right. do with, am, so this is my question. If, if I were to ask myself two, three years ago to look at this code and what do I think? I'd say, you're an idiot. Just put it all in one file. <laughs> uh, like, you're, 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 this is insane. But, but I think... I, I think I was wrong, but I, but here's here's so here's where I'm at right now. I think you separate accidental complexity from none, but you but you only like you were saying, Ralph, you want deep uh, modules with shallow interfaces. And I think when you're testing, the tests that you want to leave in test the interface. So this is sort of into the like BDD or you know yeah, versus I mean, BDD thing sense. where you, you test the behavior. So so I, I think I over-tested in doing this, but the TDD got me here. The TDD forced me to make these decisions of like, oh, I'm intermixing file access from the logic of what I'm doing with the results from processing the data. And I want to separate those two out. I want to detangle. And I think detangling in the, you know, in the red-green refactor, it's in the refactor step that that happens. But my mistake, I think, is when I was refactoring, I churned out like three or four or five more tests on those new things that I was creating. I should have just left it at that. Red, green, refactor. Don't add tests. And then so, make the new test for the interface. Well, uh, this is... So, um, one, let me just answer Richard's question explicitly. Saying, like, yes, for me, simple. Like, for me, simple and easy to change, right? Obviously, right? And I, I don't, I don't, and then, and then Dan, you're, you're, you're saying, what's, what's there above function programming? What's, what's, what's there above, above object oriented? Like, what's the truth over there? To me, it's okay. So there's three things then: simple, easy to change, and 
you are good at persuading others. <laughs> Your way is the is a good way. You, but do you not think that no matter what, you should have a code base that has good modularity and separation of concerns that makes logical separation? I don't care how small it is, right? I, you're not over engineering well, so I, I think by pulling something out that has nothing to do with something else. You wrote these tests. Did you write tests over private interfaces or public interfaces? And I think that's the thing that's challenging to, to understand. Like, is it like public private is actually like a little bit more nuanced sometimes in cases exactly yeah. like this? Because to your point, that's that's part of it. But also, just should I have left these things tangled up because it's a stupid, small, simple side project? Well, okay. So for me, what I would do is I would like let's say we had those two files, the, like the two 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 modules, one for the I/O, one for the like. Um, like processing, I would only have a test for the one that like processes the file contents and gives gives you a number. That's my only test. Everything else is a manual test, and as long as that works, I don't don't have any uh, like automated test for this. Yeah, so like the, the public interface that you would test is just like the very the, the final function, so not not anything else. But but you could say that. But that's also that's the thing: are the modules public? The public interface, right? And so if the module is public and you want to preserve oh, exactly right, what right, that right, thing right. does. And that's, you know, I think that's exactly right. Right. Which Depends seems like on your definition thing of say, public. but like, <laughs> maybe that's the title of this podcast. No. Yeah. I, I think, and I, I think the, the way that I think about that is, do I like this enough to treat it as a public thing that I then want to maintain and have people like have opinions about, right? Because the things that you have test coverage on, like, you're inviting, like you're, you're essentially saying to the world, like, uh, come here, abuse this thing. We want to add something else to it potentially and make sure that that part doesn't break. And if you don't want yeah. that conversation, then you would, to Raph's point, kind of hide that in a private piece. You know, um, uh, so like I, I said, have a test for that thing, but then don't have a test for IO, right? But then like making it clear, like, hey, whenever you change that IO stuff, yep. be super yep. careful. Like this is the like the cost of simplicity, right? Like now now you've put all of your dangerous stuff into one place. Whenever anyone changes that, they need to be like extremely fearful of of this area. And like yep. there's no tests that yep. will exist. No, no fear that make that go right. is um like breaking that thing apart, having coverage on that thing. Fear is not doing that, right? And that's making people fearful of, of changing a thing. Sometimes that's a feature. So what, would it... <laughs> I mean, if I see code that's like very highly indented, it's essentially a series yeah. of comments saying, you better not do anything with this. Oh God, please don't do anything. Okay. Like, <laughs> yeah. yep. I mean, I assume you can do like an end-to-end -end test. Like I have a Docker container. I know the file system. I can, I can like run like your program and, and make sure the output is exactly the same. But like that's an end-to-end -end test, right? Fine. Like, but you cannot have any yeah, unit test exactly. that does yeah. that gives you that confidence. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of where the spectrum is too. Like end-to-end -to -end test or unit test or whatnot. I think the the perception of a unit test, and I, I think I'm ripping this from a video too. The perception of a unit test is that it's like over every single file, and it can be over modules instead, or like you know uh, across multiple modules. Like that's okay. That's still actually like that's that's some. So, definition of public or private can be up for debate definition of what a module is also can be up for debate right like is it a like method in a particular thing is it a is it a file is it like a directory is it you know a repository uh, you know 
Yeah, I saw a talk recently that was like in the BDD vein saying, don't tie your test to your code. So don't test a class, test the behavior that you expect to happen. So if if you're ever writing a test and it's like tied to your code and not tied to like, I want to call this and expect it to do this, then that's not a good test. But in my case, right, file access, I could say my user is my is my other module and it expects to call a function and no, get no. a certain that's, result that's back. <laughs> so, okay, you know, so uh, this is a very eye-opening thing that, uh, so James Weens, we had a, a chat, chat earlier and, and he was saying something that was eye-opening to me. Um, we were talking about like, how do you gain confidence in an area where like so many teams are working in this legacy code base? And I was approaching with this idea of like, hey, we should get 100% test coverage and we should have unit like R R RTL tests in this in this code base. And he was like, well, you can, but if you do, you're going to basically make changes really, really hard to do. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> that's amazing. Like, I never even, cons like, that's amazing. So in your example, Dan, like, oh, I'm going to, uh, my user is this other public mod, like this other like interface, this other other thing, right? If you change your implementation now, all those well, tests are it's, hold it's you not back. the test, like, oh, but it's no, no, the no. public <laughs> part, right? So know? if I if I am explicitly exporting a thing, there's a danger in that, right? So like small small public interfaces keeps you out of those kind of troubles. Sometimes a unit test coverage around a thing that really is a private implementation, someone can imply or you know interpret <laughs> wrongly that that means oh that's a public thing that I can just go mess with, right? Yeah, like like for example, this. Imagine you have two things: one, the test for the uh, uh, the end-to-end -end test with the Docker container, right? And then two, you have the the this the unit test for the list, like checking the like I, I look at the list and I get a number, right? Now you written this in OCaml, right? And then you're like, you know, screw OCaml, I'm gonna go with like Java, right? And then you want to completely rewrite everything. The end-to-end -end test still works, right? Nothing, nothing like that's th that thing should still work just the same, right? But then the unit test now you have to change, of course, like that's gonna be different because of your different language. Um, and, and that's fine. Like, but the point is like the unit tests prevent you from making drastic changes in the code base. Like that unit test, the, the fact that you have this unit test in this OCaml code keeps you in OCaml. You're not gonna rewrite it in, in Java because of the test. Like, you know, like if, imagine if you have a thousand of these, there's no way. Now, if you have end-to-end -end tests, right? Now you're free to do whatever you want, right? You're free. Anyone can make these big sweet yeah, changes I, because you're not. But I think this is this is where the, the spectrum of. I, I think what I what I end up seeing is end-to-end -end tests or tests that uh, run real slow, <laughs> and that's a different thing than like a a unit test that's around a different uh, order of magnitude of a unit, right? So like, not necessarily like my my point. I'm some I'm somewhat like just like equivocating on terms terminology here, but like. Um, I think if we say the thing that we need is only end-to-end -end tests, in some ways it implies a certain mindset that like really like that discussion I think is more about what are we exposing as public interfaces. And I think that's the more important thing to sort out, right? What's the thing that we want to change? What do we, what's the thing we want other people to want to change? What's the part that we don't? Yeah, exactly. I, I think this also lives on a spectrum. And this is why it's so hard to make these judgment calls because you want so you want to test the things that are not likely to change very frequently, right? That's kind of and then there's a big spectrum between like this this high level 
um, module um, should basically always right. take this input and give me this output, the underlying details of how it does that. I don't, uh, I don't care. It's like, that's a, that's a more, uh, that's a less flaky test. This is what flakiness is, right? Is when it, when I change one of the underlying details, the test breaks and I didn't, uh, you, you don't want that because yeah, then it's slow to change. Um, but I do think unit tests are still valuable, right? You maybe yes. yeah. this is, this is why I think coverage is not a good it's a good byproduct to look at it but it's not a good target to aim for because you don't really care about coverage you care about am i testing the right things at the right point am i like putting the the little meters in the right spots in the and and encapsulating my unit of test as a black box and testing the inputs and outputs of that and where those tests are should be careful you should be always very careful to change those APIs because that's where your system is going to break. And this is where I think domain knowledge comes into play, because if you really understand the domain, then you understand what fundamentally yeah. is going to change and what's not going to change. If the domain is always this particular thing, that means that the inputs and outputs of that thing are probably very, very stable, very static. And if those do change, you might actually be talking about a different domain or you might be talking about making a new thing. Right. Did you say like you only want to, well, you want to test the stuff that's not changing? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You you want you want to test things that are reliable, like the APIs of things that are reliably going to give you the same outputs for the inputs. And if they don't, that means that fundamentally something probably went wrong with that thing, or or you're intentionally changing this like. API behavior the same way that you want to very carefully define your uh, there is a fuzzy line though. around microservices at a higher level because you don't want those things to change because changing those is well, very I think expensive. So there, there's the that test that we write, to the which implies a certain thing that a, uh, a headless robot is going to go execute and do. I think sometimes there's a misunderstanding that the like ideally when I have tests, the tests inform me the intent of what this thing is trying to do. And I think to your point, Ref, if we're looking at the tests and looking at the old intent and now the intent just changed, you got to change the tests, right? Or you got to change like the orientation of that system or, or like create abstractions or do something there. Mm -hmm. So point being, if this thing is giving you a color, the test might say, and hopefully does say, only blue. If you ask for red, you only get blue, right? Well, that's that was true last year, but this year we also want red as an option. We'll change the test now so that you know. So if if you so the first thing you're going to do is change the code so that red is an option, and now all your only blue tests are going to fail. That's actually a feature; it's not a bug, right? Like in the sense that the tests are written for a certain intent, new intent, new tests, right? I think the the problem is, are you changing the color from blue to red, or like what are the things that are going to change going forward? What's the orientation where you're going to like least waste your time? Now, if color is completely irrelevant or like all the colors have to map to like, I don't know, like funny names, now now you probably delete all your only blue tests because what you care about are the funny names, right? Okay, so uh, one, this is, the, this is the difference between like having an ML type system and having a Java type system, right? When you're, change, when you're adding the red, your tests don't fail because your code doesn't recompile yet. Right, like you want you want uh, the the type system yep. to tell you, hey, everywhere that you thought you only had a blue, now you also have a red. You got to handle all these things too, right? 
Where in Java, it's like, no, like you do some logic to figure out you have a red, but then you cast it, yeah. right? So like you're telling the type system what you know, like rather than the type system telling you something. So that's one difference. But and then you still got to change the test too, of course. But um, but then, like, on this idea of like, hey, only, I mean, like, definitely add the tests for the stuff that's not changing. That totally right. depends on like what your goals are. Like if it's like a if it's like a legacy application that you're like coming into. And you're saying like I need tests that I trust, and the stuff that you're changing the most is where you want the tests on, right? So like, I think the the golden thing here, like the like the thing that makes sense, like no matter what context you're in, without yeah. any spectrum, is do what makes sense, right? Like as long as you understand why you're doing it and it makes sense to you, even if you don't know like something, like you're missing some piece, right? That's still fine, right? Like as long as it makes sense. To you at the time when so you're think, given knowledge yeah. and you're given circumstances, that's I think what right you're thing. saying is it's, it's as you learn, so like essentially the things. test is one subset of a confidence generator, right? Tests generate some kind of confidence because you know the you know whatever the test describes the thing. But to your point, there are other classes or other well, classes. All these words are loaded. There are other um, instances of a confidence generator. One of which can be the type <laughs> system, right? So if a confidence generator can be generated either by tests or by types or by some other like language constructs. Cool. It's done, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then if it makes sense to you, good, yeah. you're golden. Like that's all that needs to happen. That's the only check that needs to happen. And you will know, like you have to understand that this is, you'll never know everything, right? So you'll always be probably missing some key detail, but that's okay. That's okay. Because as long as yeah. things are easy to change, it's fine. Right. So, it, and if things are, if you, if it makes sense to you, then it has to be easy to change as well. Like you have to feel like you have to go to sleep peacefully at night. If you, if you go to sleep peacefully at night, you're doing a good job. I feel like you're coming at this from a, from a highly experienced position because as, as somebody that's done this a lot, you can very, pretty reliably lean back on your intuition of, does this make sense? Is this logical? Is this is this a good test? Is this a bad test? But I think for people starting out or maybe without that heavy experience, this is a this is a point of like they haven't learned where that line is between does this test make sense or does this test not make sense? Do I feel confident in my system or do I not? Like that they don't they haven't felt that out. They don't really know. Yeah, uh, I, I think I don't know how to solve that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think this is why we talk about the nuances of like when what is a bad test? Like it like a a a one line function that calls one thing in a that I pull out into a separate module and then I write a test for that one function that has only one line in it feels like probably my gut is saying you just wasted a bunch of time and added complexity and added surface area. Yeah, so <laughs> and you uh, made a flaky test. If the goal is saying like, "Hey, this makes sense to me," and I'm not, do I'm not just doing it because someone told me to, right? Well, isn't that the way you feel when you're just starting out? Like you feel like you're doing everything because someone told you to do it. You don't understand anything. Like so, then how do you get to the point where? So I think the way you get to the point is by just doing one thing. Who cares if it's right or wrong? And then learning feedback on that one thing. And over time, you'll be like, "Oh no, no, I tried that thing before. I'm not gonna do that thing anymore. That thing, that thing didn't work well for me." Yeah. Then I'm going to go to another thing. And then maybe you come back to the other thing one day and say like, oh, you know what? I missed something there. Like I'll change it. I'll try it again, like a different way. But yeah, yeah. I guess yeah. that goes into like all the different ways that people can learn. You can learn from experience. Sometimes you get inspired by books or podcasts or whatever. 
yeah, I'm I'm of the camp of saying like you really can't learn unless you try something. You got to do it. <laughs> you got to just do it. Just and like then, psychedelics. Fails. Like as long as you're okay <laughs> with with uh, like you know, and failure is is in this definition will be like it's not the ideal thing to do, but you'll probably it's probably just be fine. Like there's not there's no way like it'll it'll is there a better thing? Sure, but is this the worst thing? No, right. So like what's the what's the risk? The risk is that you don't do it and they don't get the you don't learn learnings. Yeah. Yeah. This is why I think my team has a team health check every sprint that we go through. And one of the questions on there is, are we learning? And I always overemphasize, like, if we're not learning, truly, we are dysfunctional as a team, because that's really a core part of the job and what we're all about is like, we should always be learning and growing that that should be the underlying focus of of everything. Okay, so maybe that's the gold. Maybe that's the golden. uh like the the one thing that's above all the other things are you learning and separation of concerns i mean come on <laughs> modularity <laughs> modularity well, is learn. not a yeah i don't know whatever it's fine but those are I, things like, that you learn i gotta go back and read those unix philosophy things too the 17 laws of whatever because i think those are probably well the problem with unix philosophy though is it's only string streams stream uh, streams of st- strings right like the, it's 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 like yeah it's a great philosophy when all you have is streaming strings. But really, I I feel like those f- philosophy rules transcend. No. They're so generic; they have to apply in many no, no, many no, no, different no. situations, and they might universally apply. Why do you think that all they're kind of like horoscopy are... though? They're there you can interpret them to mean anything. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, the, this is a, a a separate thing, but the the, the idea is like. It, all this stuff looks beautiful when you constrain yourself into a world where you just have strings. But if you want other data, now you have, now you can't do, like the output of one function is not going to be the input of another function if the type of it is different. But if all the types are just mm. one, yeah, you're good. Right? So yeah, it's just, I think it just tells you like, hey, constraints end up giving you more, but they're constraints. So you have to accept them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, I think we should end on that. Let's end on that. Good chat. See you around.